Hello friends. Thank you for listening to the Night's End Halloween special. Really hope you were enjoying it. This is just a quick message from me, James Barnett, the creator and producer. Just wanted to give a big thank you to all of the narrators and authors that have helped me bring all of these stories together, as well as my loyal patrons. As an independent creator of this show, I am humbled by people's generosity. I believe it very important to help independent creators as they don't have the financial backing of some of the larger networks. So if you can, support independent creators, whether it be an author, a narrator, a musician, or a podcast. Wink, wink. (laughs) It helps them bring you more and better quality content. Lastly, before I let you get back to the last episode, Season 3 submissions are now open. If you have a story that is dying to be told in an audio format, please send it to us. We would love to check it out. Head over to nightsendpodcast.com for detailed submission guidelines. Now sit back and enjoy the last Night's End Halloween special episode for 2021. Thank you. certainly wouldn't want to end up on the Hello Fiends list, would you? Though I suppose becoming a lobotomized scarecrow would not be the worst thing in the world. (laughs) It'd be a simple life. But you and I, friends, are destined for greater things. We have taken down wicked things before, have we not? It's only a matter of time before another horrific adventure comes our way and knocking down the so-called door... But not before I wish you all a happy Halloween and give you our seventh and final tale to finish out the Halloween season. Now, don't cry. Halloween only ends if you want it to. You can dress up every day if you like. Or dress as yourself. Just expect a few sideway glances. (laughs) Our last tale is titled Tiny Town and it is written by our friend, Robert Piatone. Wanna see something really scary? Natalie asked, taking her eyes off the road to scroll through her phone. I found this creepy picture online and thought of you instantly. Mario sat in the passenger seat, anxious. He waited with bated breath. She held her phone to his face. On it, the camera's reversed image acted like a mirror, and he rolled his eyes. Natalie giggled to herself. Just you wait until we get to Tiny Town, then you'll see some scary stuff. 
he said, smiling. I think it's a dumb shit idea, dude. Natalie said, finishing her third cigarette of the evening. Even if it's Halloween, I think it's dumb. We should have just stayed home and ate my brother's candy. Why? We're going to be seniors next year. Tanaka would be a violation of an age-old teenage ritual. Plus, it's the spookiest night of the year and we're too old to trick-or-treat anymore. Plus, you dress like every day is Halloween anyway. Natalie rolled her eyes. She turned the radio up and reclined in the driver's seat of her Toyota Cressida, bobbing her head to Charlie XCX. Where'd you get those new balances? The retired dad emporium? We can't all shop at Baby's First Goth, he said, gesturing to her all-black attire. First it was the obsession with the New York dolls, then it was the eyebrow piercing, which I know your mom hates, now it's the combat boots and frayed denim skirt? You haven't commented on the striped bra, she said, winking at him. A gentleman wouldn't, Mario said, smiling. But yes, you look like if Lydia from Beetlejuice lost a fight with her eyeliner. Ouch, little pop, she said, feigning injury and grabbing her heart. You've struck a blow, and now we must turn around and vacate all notions of exploring haunted areas. Nat, come on. It'll be fun, he said, poking her shoulder. It'll be like when we snuck into old man Fanning's hot tub. If we go, and it sucks, you're buying me disco fries at the diner after. Deal? Mario lit up and nodded excitedly. As they drove outside of town, they blasted high-energy pop tracks, both because that's what Natalie was into at the moment, and also Mario needed to get himself hyped in an effort to kill the nervousness coursing through his body. Oh, my mom wanted me to ask you to come to dinner tomorrow night. Of course. Why is it so important that we go here? I heard the seniors talking about it last year in orchestra. They said it was scary and that Tommy Doyle's cousin's neighbor saw a goblin there. Tommy went and checked it out, and he was almost prom king, according to the voting committee. Is that right? You think if we drive all the way to Oakvale and see a gremlin or whatever, that you'll be prom king next year? She almost cracked up at the thought. Mario shrugged. I don't know. Tommy's pretty cool. I just thought it'd be fun to do. He said quietly. Oh, hey, listen to this. Natalie said using her knees to steer the car. Mario, instinctively, reached over to take the wheel as she changed the music on her iPhone. Trumpets and guitars, ska music, real big fish. The two bopped along, Natalie taking the wheel again. Remember when we used to listen to this back in the day? He nodded and smiled. I just moved here. You mentioned how much you liked my turn the radio off button on my backpack. I thought I was the only one who knew who real big fish were. Man, thank God your parents are as old school as mine. You're still the only one I have anything in common with in this town. I've been thinking of going back to the city for school. Have you submitted your early acceptance apps? Absolutely not. You? Yeah, 
I, I sent out four. Probably wait until September to send the rest. Why haven't you? I don't know. Just don't care, I guess. It's only your future, Nat. <laughs> you sound like my dad. Mario laughed. He checked his iPhone. Oakville has a lot of creepy stuff, apparently. I read on this website that there was a Satanist church here once. Is that so? <laughs> That's pretty badass. I only know the legend of the gremlin and that a couple college kids went missing, like, ten years back during East Islip's homecoming. Mario stared at her. Goblin. What? It's a goblin, not a gremlin. What's the difference? Gremlins attack planes and shit. Goblins live in places like this. Woods, near water, that kind of thing. Mario explained, gesturing to the thick trees lining the highway leading outside of town, stretching along the east shore of Pequot Lake. How do you know all this stuff? Take the wheel a sec. I told you, that website, Mario said. He took the wheel as Natalie lit a fourth cigarette. Right. She said, cigarette dangling from her lips. She retook the wheel. I didn't see anything about anybody disappearing in the area, though. Mario said. There was a hint of anxiety in his voice. Natalie knew he was nervous again. We don't have to go, Mario. Tommy Doyle thinks he's hot shit because he went to a scary place. You're hot shit because you're friends with me. So what does it matter? Let's just go to dinner, eat until we puke, fork someone's lawn and call it a night. No, I want to go. I want to be able to tell everybody we did this, Nat. Natalie nodded. The college kids were drunk. They found their car in a pond at a roundabout in the center of Tiny Town. What about the kids themselves? Natalie shrugged. I assume they found them in the car too. I don't really remember, I was like seven. They didn't have that on your spooky folklore website? Mario shook his head. Tiny Town sat beyond the large brick and stone structure that was once home to the Vanderhue family's servants. In its heyday, the development of homes was something to behold. But now, nearly a century after its completion, many had long been abandoned for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was the softening of the land over the years. Jack-o'-lanterns sat on the dilapidated steps of the stone structure glowing in the fading evening light. The Vanderhue family was deeply entrenched in the history of the region, investing early in the mining and logging operations and turning a huge profit while creating an economy open enough to draw folks from New York City to the boonies upstate. Beyond the servants' quarters, there were rows of houses built on the grounds of what would have been Vanderhue's stables. A large, open area, houses spaced in neat rows, trees lining their properties. A hurricane did a number on many of the houses, 
most built under upstate New York's natural water table due to the proximity to the lake and the coast being relatively close as well. The two sat, staring at the massive brick and stone servants' quarters. Are, are we lost? Mario asked. He checked his phone's weather app. Looks like rain in a bit. It's just through there. I think, anyway. We have to go in on foot. That's what Tommy said. She rolled her eyes. Fine. The pair climbed out of the car and locked the doors. Natalie sparked another cigarette, and the two walked through a large archway of brick into the darkness of Tiny Town. They both turned on their cell phones' flashlights and made their way through rows of homes, many of which nature reclaimed ages ago, or were sinking into the earth bit by bit as the years crawled by. Weird that nobody's developed the land. They've tried. About six times. Everything sinks. No one knows why. They say the ground is sour. Natalie ruled her eyes. She wiggled her fingers at Mario and whistled the theme to the Twilight Zone. He laughed. Then something froze Mario in his tracks. The website said that nobody lived here, Mario said, pointing to a window in another section of the large stone structure, where a solitary candle cast an orb of orange-yellow light in the vicinity. Natalie looked over the property. Mirrors were scattered everywhere, directed outward. She furrowed her brow, confused to see her distorted reflection in the darkness. For a moment, she thought she caught the glimpse of a shadow, small, fast, darting between rows of mirrors. What was that? Was somebody behind us? Mario asked his voice rising in slight panic. Relax, she said, putting her hand on his shoulder. You're all freaked out because some kids put some pumpkins and fake spiderwebs up. Jesus, you're such a wimp sometimes, dude. I thought I saw someone in red standing behind me. That's weird, she said, the tiniest hint of anxiety creeping into her voice. Why are there so many mirrors? What do they mean? Mario asked, his voice shaky. Natalie smiled. It means you're doomed, Mario. Tiny Town has you in a death curse. She wrapped her arms around Mario and squeezed. He shouted and tried to wriggle free. You can't escape, Mario. This was my plan all along to lure you here. I'm the goblin. Look at my reflection. <laughs> Finally, she let him go, laughing too hard to maintain her grasp. Nah, that wasn't funny, he shouted. He was struggling to catch his breath, and even in the dark, she knew he was upset. She stopped laughing at him. Mario, I'm kidding, dude. No. Don't touch me, Nat, I'm serious. I'm already creeped out being here. I don't need you messing with me. Mario, this was your idea. Relax. I'm just playing around. 
you think everything's a joke. It's so obnoxious. Like, you're too cool to have fun anymore. Natalie stood, shocked by his words. Mario, I... It just sucks, you know? You're my best friend and you quit on me in orchestra. We don't do video game nights anymore. We don't have sleepovers. He said quickly, as though he'd been waiting to unload. Mario, we're kind of too old to be having sleepovers. She said, smiling. I don't know if my folks would be cool with that. Still, you know what I mean. You've changed so much, it just sucks. I only joined orchestra because of you. Most of the things I do is because of you. She had an inkling of what he was saying. She wasn't prepared for this kind of discussion. Not this night. Maybe not ever. Mario, your second chair clarinet. That's awesome. Natalie said, trying to calm him down and steer the subject away from the eventual declaration of love that was bubbling under his surface. Yeah, is it? To the drummers and the guys in the locker room, it means I'm good at blowing things. Natalie tried to stifle her giggle, but failed. <laughs> Mario noticed and shook his head. An expression of hurt mixed with betrayal claimed his face. Fuck this. I'm out of here. He charged past her, towards the brick and stone archway they passed through moments earlier. Guilt washed over her as she heard his footsteps grow distant. Sighing to herself, she turned after him. Wait up, kid. Natalie turned toward where she thought he would be, but was met with empty space. Mario? She looked around. The area was vacant, with the exception of the houses, the mirrors, and the lone candle burning in the window of the servants' quarters. Mario had been walking for a good ten minutes in the dark. Houses, half-submerged in the ground, sat around him. His anger was fueling him, and he hadn't noticed he passed the same house two or three times. Eventually, he stopped and looked around. Natalie was nowhere to be found. Neither was the car. He checked his phone. No service. Nah. He shouted into the dark. Blackness stretched before and behind him. Rows of houses, all of them abandoned and overgrown, lined the street on both sides. And beyond them, impenetrable darkness. His voice echoed in the night, as though bouncing off unseen walls in the dark. He looked around. This isn't possible. He continued walking but tripped and landed on the cold asphalt. He brushed himself off and checked his phone. The screen was broken, but the flashlight still worked. He noticed a chalky black substance on his hands and tried to brush it off, which took a good amount of effort. Kneeling down, he ran a digit along the ground and lifted it to the light of his phone. Thick black ichor dripped down his finger to his wrist. When he rubbed the strange blackness off, it wasn't so much a fluid, but more like the chalky substance he had brushed away seconds ago. 
What the hell is this? Confused, he rose and walked toward one of the houses nearby and noticed the black chalk on the walkway and sidewalk in various patterns and designs most Mario had never seen before. Others were more familiar. Stars, moons, squares, all thick with the same black substance. Mario tried to cut through the backyard of the abandoned home. He climbed the fence and started toward the rear of the house and smacked directly into a wall of blackness, falling backward. Jesus, he said, standing up. More of the substance cast high, creating a literal wall of crystalline blackness that stretched far beyond the home like a barrier. Natalie snubbed out her cigarette on the heel of her black combat boot and walked up to the brick house with the candle in the window. She checked her phone, but it wasn't working. The battery had apparently died. Hello? I'm sorry to bother you, but it's an emergency, she said as she knocked. She looked into the window of the home and saw movement. Eventually, the door opened, and she stood in the doorway peering into the dimly lit home. Candles were strewn about, more mirrors, most covered with black or red satin. White candles dripped red wax onto their holders in the floor. He stepped into the home, muttering under her breath that, This is how every horror movie starts. Natalie was always one to take stupid risks. Even as kids, she'd jump headfirst into the ocean from the pier as summer vacation kicked off. She would jump off the roof of her house when her parents weren't there into the above-ground pool in her backyard. Mario would watch in awe as she held on to bottle rockets, waiting until the last second to let them go before they exploded in her hand. She loved doing stupid stuff. But walking into a house like this gave her pause. Paintings littered the walls, folks from various ages, the 18th century, the modern one, many of them wide-eyed with confused expressions on their faces, as though caught by an unseen surprise. As Natalie navigated the long hallways of the home, she studied the paintings curiously. In more than a few, Groups of people stared directly at her. Their eyes seemed to follow her as she moved, but she knew it was just an effect of the artwork itself. There was a haunted quality to the images. Definitely oil-based paint, if her time in art class was any indicator. Thick globs in many sections. Eventually, Natalie found one of a car, half-submerged in a small pond. Three figures stood beside it, staring blankly and wide-eyed, mouths agape at her. One of the figures wore a hoodie with Natalie and Mario's high school mascot on it. Pins and needles ran up her spine. That can't be, she said quietly, staring at the photo. The tiny hairs on the back of Natalie's neck radiated cold and she spun around 
expecting a shadowy figure to pounce on her any second. But she was relieved when she was met instead with a painting of a boy standing at the base of a massive black wall that seemed to emerge from the bushes of a home. She was curious why this figure wasn't facing her, and instead felt a familiar connection to the image. Leaning closer, she thought the figure in the photo could have been... Mario? She whispered to herself. She continued looking for a phone. The hallway of the home stretched farther back than she initially thought, and soon she found various entryways to various other rooms before stepping carefully into a sitting area, the walls lined with ancient and modern tomes. Books by people she'd never heard of. Anton Sander LeVay, Jack Parsons, Poké Runyon, etc. She ran her fingers along the spines of the books, while a soft breeze blew through her long hair. She caught a whiff of what she first believed to be roasted marshmallow, but altogether more vanilla than campfire. Can I help you? A voice came from behind her. Natalie spun again and came face to face with a small-framed elderly woman. Her back was hunched and her head hung low. Natalie noticed how difficultly the woman seemed to move as she shuffled toward her. I'm so sorry, ma'am. I saw the candle and, well, your door blew open and I desperately need to use the phone. Mine is dead and my friend Mario... He's missing. Goodness, that's terrible. Come here, sweetheart. It's in the kitchen, the woman said, turning toward the hallway. She waited until the elderly woman was a good five feet away. As she watched her lumber slowly out of the sitting room, Natalie swallowed hard and nervously fingered the keys in her pocket. She followed the woman out of the sitting room. Mario continued staring at the monument of obsidian before him. He ran his hands along its cool surface. The wall seemed to buzz at his touch, and he placed his ear to the smoothness, listening carefully. He could hear what reminded him of whale calls, deep, guttural, distant. His parents used a sound app to get his little brother to sleep at night and Mario could often hear the whale calls through the wall. They had the complete opposite effect on him, and all of sixth grade was sleepless nights. The noises beyond the wall were pitched lower. The calls were stretched out, sounding so far away. Whales weren't particularly common in the lakes of upstate New York. A crash like thunder erupted beyond the wall muffled but sharp, and caught his attention. The crystalline darkness seemed to glow faintly in step with the sound on the other side, and Mario figured it had to be lightning, a storm in the distance. He listened more and leaned back when the lightning flashed again, illuminating creatures of impossible size beyond the wall 
the lightning struck. Flashes of what lie on the other side were lit up briefly. Figures that resembled something closer to a beast of imagination than any animal he could recognize. Huge figures lumbering among an impossible, vast horizon of blackness, where the lake should be. This... this can't be... He placed his hand on the wall as one of the enormous figures made its way toward him. The flickering lightning didn't allow for detail, simply the shape of images beyond the blackness, which was more like a geode in structure than solid black. The whole thing reminded Mario of shadow puppets, the kind he and Natalie used to make during sleepovers as kids. The figure seemed to glide over the expanse of distance rather quickly, covering an impossible distance in mere seconds. Paralyzed by fear, he kept his hand on the wall, hoping for more lightning to strike so he could satisfy his curiosity of what the creature on the other side looked like. You know you're stuck here, right? A voice said to Mario's right. The boy turned and spotted the source of the voice. A man, middle-aged, balding, naked. In his right hand, he held a pipe. What? The mirrors. You saw them. They keep us here. She keeps us here. Think of them like doors. She puts coverings over them to close the door. Keeps us stuck here. Mario stared. Why are you naked? <laughs> no need for clothes here in the dark. There's never any light. Where am I? You're on my property, young man. All of this. Vanderhue property. I'm Arthur Vanderhue. The man extended his hand to shake Mario's, when a sudden thump drew the boy's attention back to the cold, crystalline wall. Mario got his wish, and a blast of lightning illuminated the space beyond the darkness briefly. The figure's tentacled hand pressed to the structure. Lined up with Mario's, a dozen slender figures squirming and wriggling as they squeezed against the opposite side of the wall. Mario screamed and fell backward. When he rose, he was beside a small pond. The backyard was gone. The wall was gone. It was as if he traveled somehow during the fall. He never lost consciousness, and he remembered taking his eyes off the wall for only a second. What? The houses and road had seemingly melted away, and he stood alone beside the pond. Red lights of a car deep beneath the surface cast the only illumination in the area. He looked around. The blackness had seemingly swelled around him, blocking the view of anything, even as he tried to use his flashlight to get a deeper look beyond the dark. Impenetrable darkness met his every turn, as though some unseen force was commanding his attention to the car beneath the water. 
He stepped toward the pond and struggled to see anything beneath the murky overgrowth that had begun to reclaim the pond in the same way it had the nearby homes. Nat, where are you? I don't want to see this. I can't see this, he whispered to himself. Natalie continued trailing the woman, shuffling slowly down the hallway. You have a beautiful home. I love all the candles, and that sitting room is amazing. I could spend hours in there if I enjoyed reading. Smart young lady like yourself doesn't enjoy reading. What a shame. The written word is the link to our past and the key to the future. The woman said, her voice dropping an octave from the last time she spoke. You sound like my dad. Uh, your throat okay? I have lozenges, I think. No, no, Natalie. I'm fine. You're a dear to ask. The woman said, turning a corner down another hallway. How does she know my name? Natalie thought to herself. The girl bit her lower lip and furrowed her brow, turning the corner with the woman. More oil paintings. More candles. She wondered how the paintings didn't melt with the oppressive heat and humidity she was feeling deeper into the house. Faces of people, some seemingly in agony, others smiling or looking confused stood in various points of what Natalie imagined to be Tiny Town before it began its descent into the earth. Is that music? She asked, hearing the distant sound of an old tune playing somewhere in the house. The old woman <laughs> laughed. When she did, her hunch tremored. Its shifting disturbed Natalie. Ah, the Merry Max. My favorite group. Do you like music, Natalie? Natalie froze in place and looked around. She had started to sweat and feel nauseous, the air heavy, the smell of musky vanilla overwhelming. The smell of the woods and the ocean mingled with the vanilla and created a heady aroma that disoriented her. It smells like Christmas and a bonfire. What's happening? The woman turned to Natalie and smiled. Do you like it? Ma'am, where's the kitchen? What kitchen? Natalie began to feel dizzy and braced herself against the wall, knocking one of the paintings down in the process. I don't feel so good. Oh, sweetie, it's all right. Just close your eyes a moment, the woman said, stepping closer. As she did, even through blurry vision, Natalie could make out the woman's void-like black eyes. How do you know my name? What are you? The old woman smiled. Natalie caught a glimpse of rows of jagged teeth brittle like shards of thin glass. 
Her mouth resembled that of a shark's more than it did a human. Get away. Natalie sighed, the world around her going dark. Mario stared at the illuminated brake lights of the car under the water. They were the only source of light in the area, outside of his phone's flashlight. He tried walking away from the area, but even as he was able to take the steps, he never physically moved from the scene. He knew he was forced to remain, waiting and watching the car in the water. Just do it already, he said, sitting beside the pond. I don't care. I don't know what's happening. We can't get home. There's monsters in the darkness. There was a naked billionaire industrialist. There's a fucking car underwater here. I don't understand any of this. Can the goblins just come out and kill me already? Or do I have to drown myself in the pond? What are you waiting for? That's some attitude, kid. Mario turned, the voice causing him to jump. He thought he heard the voice in his head as though it were one of his own thoughts, but behind him stood a young man, a little older than Mario, wearing a hoodie emblazoned with a Native American warrior on it. Who are you? Where'd you come from? The young man shrugged and sat down beside Mario. I went to East Amity High School. I'm at Rocky Brook University now. Mario looked at the young man's hoodie. Hey man, like, that's not cool. You can't wear stuff like that. What do you mean? I love our mascot. Go Redmen. You go to Rocky Brook? We're the Red Storm now. We don't use that logo, it's offensive. Oh, sorry. That sat for a moment. You're stuck here too? The young man nodded. Been here a while. Mario sat in silence a bit. Who'd you have for English? Mahoney. She's the worst. Such a phony. <laughs> I had her this year, too. Agreed on the phony part. The two shared a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the young man looked at Mario. Know your friend is gonna die, right? He looked at him. What? The young man nodded absently. She's with her now. She pulled you away from her. Put you in another place. Where she put me and my friends. Wait, are you? Mario asked, gesturing to the car under the water. The young man nodded. How long has it been? It was 1992 when my friends and I came here. I'm sorry, it's 2020 now. The young man nodded. Wow. Can't believe Mahoney is still teaching all these years later. Some people hold on, I guess. Like you. The young man smiled. You're a smart kid. You have to help your friend. He shrugged. How? I tried leaving here, but I didn't get far. The young man stood up and extended his hand to Mario, helping him to his feet. I make no guarantees. Hell, you might be stuck here with me for all I know. We can try. Okay. Mario nodded. It has to mean something that we're here, right? The young man nodded. 
Everything means something to these creeps. They live for synchronicities, as they call them. It's part of their belief system. How do you know so much? When I'm not here, reliving the moment she threw my car into the pond and reliving her tearing me and my friends apart, she calls upon me to witness her rituals. Something about my purity. Mario's face turned red. Am I dead too? The young man shook his head. Nah, not yet. Think of this place like a waiting room. Divide and conquer. She went for your friend because she's stronger than you. No offense. She makes us watch. We'll be drawn to her temple soon. That's where she feeds. Great. No offense taken, by the way. Nat was always the strongest. Wait. Purity as in... Yeah, kid. Exactly that. My dad said I was a late bloomer, alright? You're the first virgin to come here since me. I think we're the only ones she holds no control over. You want my help or not? <laughs> Guess I'm a late bloomer too. The two shared a laugh. <laughs> here, take my hand. Maybe I can slip us into the real world. Never tried this before with a live person. So, it might be weird. Can't guarantee that you won't piss your pants. Mario, anxiety racing through his body, extended his hand, and the young man took it. Hold on tight, okay? Mario nodded as the world around them began to illuminate. The great blanket of darkness began to swirl, an explosion of the red lights of the breaks of the water, the green of nature that encircled the pond, and the colors of Mario and the young man's clothes all swirled together in intense brightness. I think I might throw up. Mario said softly in the swirl of color in the dark. Natalie opened her eyes and looked around. She was in a large cathedral-like space, walls lined with candles, black symbols, and folds of dark-colored velvet, undulating softly from the light breeze. Attempting to move was an impossibility, as Natalie's arms and legs were bound with leather straps to an upright wooden table, angled slightly. At her feet was a large copper bowl. The source of the scents that had wafted through the home was a great pyre in the center of the room, littered with various sprigs of branches. Robed figures routinely tossed leaves and packets of colored spices into the fire, creating a colorful and disorienting explosion of scent and intensity. Nude men and women stood around the room, holding snakes, black cats, ravens and other creatures. About a dozen or so of them stood behind different symbols, some recognizable as simple stars and moons, others completely foreign to the girl. They were pale, ghostly in a way. Mirrors, draped in various coverings, stood on the walls, each with a symbol on whatever covering lay over it matching the one above the men and women. 
the old woman from the home stepped toward Natalie, a gray-haired Pomeranian in her hands. Her hunched body looked even worse with no clothes on. Her smile sent a cold shiver up Natalie's spine. The others around the room stood in stark contrast to the old woman. They were younger, in their prime even. Natalie recognized some of their faces from the paintings in the home. You should really do something about that back. Natalie said, feeling bold. Oh, we will. You'll see. The woman said, licking her lips. She held the Pomeranian up to Natalie's face, and it nipped at the girl's cheek, gnawing at her flesh. Ah, Natalie no. screamed as the dog ah. began taking smaller bites out of her face, slurping the blood in a frenzy, its tiny legs running in place with impossible excitement. The old woman tremored, her body shaking more. More, my baby. Take more. The old woman cooed, the Pomeranian tearing into Natalie's cheek. Natalie kept her eyes shut tight as the furry nightmare continued to assault her face. Finally, she felt the attacks lessen, and she exhaled, opening them slowly. The old woman's body began to shake with greater violence, her gray hair whipping around wildly. Delicious! So delicious! The woman cried, running her hands all over her body, releasing the Pomeranian onto the carpet. Natalie watched the dog spin in circles, chasing its tiny nub-like tail. When she looked back at the woman, she was on her knees. Her once gray hair had begun turning red, similar to the fire blazing in the center of the room. When the woman lifted her face to Natalie, the old, terrifying visage was in a state of flux, and hints at the beauty within began to present themselves. The woman stepped closer to Natalie and ran a finger along her damaged cheek. I'm sorry, Natalie. My baby gets excited to eat. No hot feelings. Without missing a beat, Natalie spit whatever saliva she had in her mouth directly into the woman's face. Smiling, the once old woman licked her lips, drawing Natalie's saliva into her own mouth. Thank you, she said, patting the girl on her damaged cheek, sending a shock of pain through the teenager's body. Once the pain subsided, Natalie looked up and watched as Mario and a young man in a red man hoodie entered the room, her mind immediately connected to the painting she saw earlier. The two moved amongst the figures, moving slow and low, avoiding the gaze of any onlookers. So, this is it, huh? Natalie asked between sharp breaths. The woman turned to her. What do you mean? All that stuff about gremlins and ghosts and blah, blah, blah. It's just an old 
bitch bleeding the younger generation dry so she can keep on living? <laughs> An oversimplification. But sure, if that's how you see me. My race has been here since the beginning of this place. We came down from the mountains and claimed the lake as ours, and then you came along. Your rich privilege. Driving us deep into the woods, back into the mountains. Tiny town, as your generation call it. I got the Vanderhues out. I keep the undesirables out. My presence poisons the land. The people here exist for my pleasure and my whim. I make them watch as I devour the children in the region. Pathetic little girls like you. Natalie kept talking long enough for Mario and the young man to begin gathering materials to help free her. Mario slipped one of the velvet coverings off a mirror in the back, far from the crowd. He slipped down and moved closer to the woman and Natalie's position at the back of the cathedral, moving unseen among the figures writhing in the candlelight. That's a great scheme. Be a shame if someone messed it up for you. The woman smiled. It's been centuries, darling. People mess it up all the time, but I always make a comeback. So, what happens next won't be much of a surprise, then. Natalie said, smiling at the woman. Moving quickly, Mario rose from his position behind the woman and smashed the mirror over her head, dropping her instantly. The Pomeranian yelped, <laughs> nipping at Mario's ankles, drawing blood, its tiny teeth annoying and painful at the same time. Rapidly, he began untying the straps, setting Natalie free. She's a goblin, not a gremlin, Mario said. The young man stood nearby, flanked by the other figures and holding a blazing candle holder, the fire burning red and black in impossible brightness. Tonight, we get our justice. She is the enemy, not these kids. Remember what she did to you, to all of us. The young man shouted over the roar of the fire and the barking of the dog. Get out of here, she's ours. Come with us. You can't stay here. She has to pay for what she did to all of us. This time it'll be different. Thank you, Natalie said. The young man smiled. He totally likes you, by the way. Get out of here. Mario and Natalie made for the exit, and before leaving, she kicked over two candle holders, spilling wax and fire to the floor. The cathedral went up alarmingly fast, and the young man remained between Natalie and Mario as the figures in the room began to attack the woman. Her red hair streaking with gray, the woman rose and looked at the two teenagers at the far end of the room. She smiled and slowly raised her hands, giving them a round of applause, fire beginning to engulf her, spectral hands clawing at her, dragging her into the pyre. Go! The young man shouted to them. 
the two teenagers turned and broke through the doors of the cathedral and found themselves passing through the brick and stone archway at the entrance to Tiny Town. They climbed into Natalie's car and drove off into the night. Eventually, they emerged under the archway outside of Tiny Town. We have to destroy the mirrors. Vanderhue told me it was how she moves around. That's why they were all covered up, because she keeps the doors closed. Natalie nodded. A little teenage destruction never hurt anybody, right? What's seven years of bad luck times a few hundred? Who gives a shit? Turn on the radio and let's trash this place. Mario awoke with a start the next morning. He had slept on the floor of Natalie's room, and she was already awake, laptop open, reading the news. Her bandaged cheek was swollen and red. We should get you to a doctor, Nat. Your cheek might need stitches. Mario said, rubbing the sleep from his eyes. It all burned down. All of Tiny Town, the entire Vanderhue property, the archway, the houses, all of it gone. The fire department couldn't put any of it out, she said, amazed at the news. He stared at her. I'm sorry about everything. She looked at him, closed the laptop, and slipped onto the floor beside him. You sorta saved my ass last night, kid. Thanks. He nodded. You did the same for me. Doubtful. I would have gotten the hell out of there and left you to get drained by that old broad. <laughs> they shared a laugh. She rested her head on his shoulder and he put his arm around her. On the neighbor's lawn, a gray Pomeranian watched. Natalie rose, walked to the window, and closed the blinds. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast Halloween Special 2021, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Tiny Town was written by Robert P. Atone, who is an author, teacher, and cigar enthusiast from East Islip, New York. He delights in the creepy. He can be found online at spookyhousepress.com or on Instagram and Twitter at Robert Atone. His collections, Her Infernal Name and Other Nightmares and People, a horror anthology about love, loss, life, and things that go bump in the night, are available now wherever books are sold. This episode was narrated by Drew Sebastini. Drew works best by the light of the moon, spinning dark and delirious tales of horror each and every week as the host of Tales to Terrify podcast. 
one of the longest-running horror fiction podcasts. During those lonesome daylight hours, though, he applies his creative forces as a writer, designer, and creative director for his little ad agency, Balloonfish. He lives in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, with his partner, son, and a slowly dwindling menagerie of aged fur kids. Listen to more of his work at TalesToTerrify.com or get in touch via social media at Dr. Nebula on Instagram and Twitter. Natalie was performed by R.E. Rule, who is one half of the team over at Tiny Tales Podcast, which is a weekly short story podcast spanning fantasy, horror, comedy, and everything in between. Go to tinytalespodcast.com to find out more or search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Mario was performed by David Martinez. Goblin Woman was performed by Charlotte Nora. Other characters were performed by James Barnett. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. The Night's End Halloween theme was composed by Duncan Muggleton. For more from Duncan, head to twitter.com forward slash Duncan Muggleton. If you have enjoyed even one of these episodes over the past week, please help support it. You can do this by leaving a review and a five-star rating on your podcasting app, or even just tell a friend. It helps more than you know. We have merch available at nightsendpodcast.com, or if you're looking for more content, please check out seasons one and two, which are available now. We also have 10 exclusive episodes available through our Patreon page, or through our Apple Podcast subscription, Dissonance Extra. Thanks for listening, and happy Halloween. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.